Hello scholars, this is the professor speaking, and I welcome you to Hi, That's Scary, a podcast that utilizes cannabis to analyze horror cinema. The title of today's lecture is What Works and What Doesn't When Revisiting Childhood Nostalgia. Today we will be discussing Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, a 1998 film that launched a direct-to-video series for the franchise. The film stars Scott Innes as Scooby-Doo, Billy West as Shaggy Rogers, Mary Kay Bergman as Daphne Blake, Frank Welker as Fred Jones, and B.J. Ward as Velma Dinkley. The film was directed by Jim Stenstrom, and the screenplay was written by Glenn Leopold based on the characters created by Hanna-Barbera. The strain used for this analysis was Strawberry Cough and a Cartridge. This is the same as last week's, as Halloween and Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island were watched back-to-back. Just like last week, Strawberry Cough has effects on creativity, energy, and focus. When I was a child, I had a copy of Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island on VHS. I watched that VHS enough times that I'm honestly very surprised it never broke. I cannot count how many times I've seen this film. I would watch it multiple times a year, especially around Halloween time. I think what drew me to this film was that it was noticeably darker than the Scooby-Doo television show. As a child that got into horror very early, having this darker Scooby-Doo than what I saw on Cartoon Network intrigued me greatly. The Scooby-Doo of TV had a very simple formula that most episodes followed. The series that I mainly watched were the original series from 1969 and A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. The formula these shows followed was the mystery gang would begin to investigate a mystery, usually they, one they stumbled into, there would be seemingly paranormal or supernatural occurrences. There would be a plan to catch whatever was causing these occurrences, followed by a chase scene, and finally ended with an unmasking of the perpetrator. In these shows, the villain was always human. They would generally begin haunting a house or museum or factory or amusement park in order to gain, in some way, financially. That would be through searching for a rumored treasure hidden on the property, theft of valuable items from the property, to force the sale of the property, to hide illicit activity on the property, or via insurance fraud. You could always count on the mystery gang to solve the issue at hand and figure out who was calling all of the fuss. When Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island came out, this changed. This is not to say that Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island was the first encounter that the mystery gang had with real supernatural forces, though the marketing did try to make that implication. This was the first time the entire gang experienced the trauma of encountering real monsters together. This was the first time their job became truly dangerous, in a way they weren't accustomed to. For an hour and 17 minutes, the viewer gets to experience the real reactions of their favorite childhood characters 
in a situation where there is a real fear they could die. Since this movie didn't follow the usual formula, the viewer wasn't able to predict the ending, wasn't able to predict an unmasking of a person in a rubber suit. By including real monsters and the entirety of the mystery gang, there was more fear watching then than there was with previous iterations of these characters. I mentioned before that I've seen this film countless times. Even as an adult, I don't believe I've gone six months without watching it. It's one of those films that's deeply intertwined with my childhood. Because it is so intertwined with my childhood, it's one of the few movies that I was able to watch without deeply analyzing every minute. So you can imagine how difficult it was for me to try to analyze it while also stoned off my ass. My previous lectures have largely been character-focused, and I didn't believe I would be able to put together a cohesive thesis based solely on character behavior in this instance. Which is why, scholars, I decided that the focus of today's lecture would be on what works in the film and what doesn't, as an adult who is more critical of the media I consume. I did my best to focus on not only the things that I really loved about this film, but also the things that rubbed me the wrong way. That is not to say my feelings have changed about this film. I still love it and will continue to watch it multiple times a year. But loving something is not only recognizing its merits, but also its faults. With that, let us get into the plot summary, which has been pulled from the back of the VHS. Get ready for far-out fun in Scooby-Doo's brand-new feature-length animated movie. Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, and Fred reunite to solve the most frightfully funny mystery of their careers. The Scream team is headed to a haunted bayou island to investigate the ghost of Moonscar the pirate. But it turns out the swashbuckler spirit isn't the only creepy character on the island. The sleuths also meet up with cat creatures and zombies. And it looks like for the first time in their lives, these ghouls might actually be real. Just as things start to get really spooky, Scooby and Shaggy save the day with a little help from a surprisingly spooky source. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is the most hilarious Scooby adventure of all time that dishes up an equal portion of music, laughs, thrills, and chills. One of the reasons I stopped reading the back of VHS tapes and DVDs is because a lot of the time, especially for children's films, the plot summary would give away so much of the movie. The back of this VHS is like the spark notes for the film. It gives away a lot, but it doesn't show quite the bare bones of the film, so I can at least appreciate that. I think they were really banking on children not reading or forgetting what the back of the VHS says when they're watching the movie, which makes complete sense. It's just one of those things that doesn't hold up once you're an adult. Now that I'm old enough to remember and comprehend what's going on in the plot summary, it gives away a lot of the film. It's one of those things that doesn't hold up once you've grown up. With that, let us get into Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. 
We open the film with the Scooby gang being chased by a ghoul, the moat monster in a castle. The viewer gets to hear Third Eye Blind's rendition of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? During the chase sequence, Daphne and Velma almost die. They both end up falling off this pillar of some sort, and Fred had to catch them. Like, they're literally hanging, holding on for dear life, because if they fall, it's splat. Turns out the moat monster, shocker, is a guy in a rubber suit. He was hiding counterfeiting equipment on the property, and that is why he donned the moat monster costume to drive people away. This whole sequence is actually an interview between Daphne and a TV show host, Chris, where Daphne is retelling the tale of Mystery Incorporated's scariest mystery. Daphne is now a TV reporter with her own show, Coast to Coast, with Daphne Blake. She and Fred work together, Fred being her cameraman. Daphne in this interview says that due to the constant repetition of discovering a bad guy in a mask, the gang decided to go their separate ways. Daphne announces a new segment for her show titled Haunted America. Daphne plans on traveling the country, the United States, in search of real ghosts. At the end of the interview, Chris mentioned that it's a shame the rest of the mystery gang weren't going along with Fred and Daphne. Daphne, in response, says she really misses them. Fred has a light bulb moment, and it's so cute. This is one of the things that still holds up to the test of time, the friendship between the mystery gang. We've only seen Fred and Daphne so far, but through only the discussion of the dissolvement of Mystery Incorporated, it is plainly clear that while the gang are no longer co-workers, they're still very good friends. There wasn't a fight or building resentments. Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby collectively decided to stop mystery hunting. They as a group of friends decided what would be best for all of them collectively was to take a break. Their friendship is so important because it's one of the few examples of healthy adult friendships for children. We're going to continue this thought as we go through the next two or three scenes. Shaggy and Scooby are now working for customs in an airport and see Daphne's interview on TV. They both agree that they miss her and Fred as well. Shaggy and Scooby eventually find a contraband room that's full of unauthorized cheeses, meats, and various other foods. Scooby and Shaggy do what they do best and begin to eat all of the contraband. Scooby and Shaggy's supervisor discovers them after they've cleared out the room of anything edible. He promptly fires them. Scooby and Shaggy begin to cry about losing, quote, the greatest gig ever. I immediately started thinking about the possibility that Shaggy and Scooby might have depression. They self-sabotage frequently in pursuit of food. They clearly have disordered eating habits. These issues are never really addressed in the show, the source of Shaggy and Scooby's compulsive eating. It's played off like they'll eat everything inside, and yeah, it's still funny. I'm not going to be all 
crotchety old man yells at Cloud and say that Scooby and Shaggy eating a ridiculous amount of food isn't funny. It's funny. But from an analytical standpoint, it's never explained why they're bottomless pits. My theory that nobody asked for is that they might have depression. During their cry session post-firing, Fred calls. He asks if they're busy, to which Shaggy replies that they were not. Velma owns her own bookstore, Mystery Inc. Bookshop. She carries a wide variety of mystery novels, and when we tune in, she's taken an order from a customer. She sounds very bored as she does, rattling off the titles of books with a monotone voice. The film then gives a nice glimpse into just what it's like working retail when the customer asks Velma to hold the books. She says that she can hold them until Tuesday, to which the customer corrects to two weeks from Tuesday. Velma just sighs and agrees. Anyone that has worked retail will fully understand that moment of frustration and silent resignation when dealing with a customer. Please don't make your small bookstore owners hold items for over two weeks. It just takes up so much space, and they could be selling those and making money, and you might not even come get them. It's so rude. Velma hangs up with the customer and picks up two giant stacks of books. When I say giant, I mean I paused this movie and I counted. Velma picked up 22 books. Velma is brolic as fuck. Her sweater is obviously hiding her biceps. Do you know how heavy 22 books is? It's really heavy. And she's just mildly annoyed about it. Velma laments about the lack of excitement that comes from selling mystery books rather than solving mysteries. Fred calls her and she immediately perks up. She says to Fred that she's in on the plan Fred has proposed to her. Fred arrives at Daphne's house in the mystery machine to begin his and Daphne's journey for Haunted America. Fred triple checks that Daphne hasn't forgotten anything. Daphne becomes irritated, asking why Fred was pestering her. Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby then jump out of the back of the mystery machine, saying, Surprise! Happy birthday! Daphne forgot her own birthday. Daphne is an utter workaholic and focuses so much on her job that she forgot her own birthday. The film, up to this point, very much establishes the relationship between Daphne, Fred, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby. They all miss each other. They all still very much care about each other. They all jump at the drop of a hat to be able to work together at hand. Mystery Incorporated shows that while adults can grow apart, they can still be friends and still have adventures together. Growing up doesn't mean having to lose your friends. Just because the Scooby gang had been taking a break in this time does not mean anything has changed. When the gang sets out on their adventure, they encounter the same issues as they did before they had split up. The ghosts were never real and it's always a bad guy in a mask. 
There's a fun sequence involving multiple unmaskings of fake monsters with Sky Cycle playing The Ghost Is Here. The whole sequence also still holds up to the test of time. The song The Ghost Is Here is a fun way to do exposition. The lyrics playing over the montage goes as follows. Another scary night, another spooky fright, and you just might be in danger. Oh, the ghost is here, and it's always a fake. The ghost is here, there's no reason to shake. The ghost is here, oh, give us a break. It's fake. A minute and a half was all it took to see the repeated frustration the gang is experiencing, and the catchy song creatively tells the story. If someone has never seen Scooby-Doo, watched just this sequence, and heard that song, they'd understand the entire premise of the show and why the characters are so disappointed with each unmasking. The whole segment shows how hard Daphne and Fred are working to find a real ghost. They're running for their lives and it's like Daphne glued her mic to her hand and Fred's camera to his shoulder. They're not just solving a mystery, they're a professional film crew. They have a glorious work ethic which is why Daphne is so disappointed when they hit up mystery after mystery and it's the same issue repeating itself. The Scooby Gang have stopped in Louisiana. Daphne, Fred, and Velma are sitting together on a bench. Fred is stuffing his face with beignets, as he pronounces. Daphne is lamenting about their situation to Velma. They're soon approached by a woman that introduces herself as Lena. Lena tells the trio about her employer on Moonscar Island, which she claims is haunted. Morgan Moonscar, a pirate after which the island is named, died on the island and is now haunting the place. Fred is immediately skeptical, which Lena challenges, stating that the ghost was real, but if they were too scared, they didn't need to go. Lena invites them to come to the island, walking away. Daphne is excited at the prospect of a real ghost. Fred agrees and mentions that Lena is cute, an added bonus. Daphne briefly makes fun of Fred for this before they are interrupted by Velma's exclamation. She has done some research and discovered that there have been numerous disappearances on Moonscar Island. This solidifies the gang's plans. They're following Lena to Moonscar Island. The five pile into the mystery machine and follow Lena onto a ferry that will be taking them to the island. The ferry driver, Jacques, tells the gang, Peoples go into that bayou and they don't never come out. Daphne is momentarily shaken by this statement, mostly because Jacques invaded her personal space to make it. But tells him that was why they were going to check out the island in the first place. Once on the ferry, Lena learns of Scooby's existence, mentioning that her employer has cats. Scooby shows signs of aggression at the mention of cats, but Shaggy quickly covers this up, saying that Scooby had no issue with cats. The ferry takes off into the bayou. The group encounter a man on the bayou called Snakebite Scruggs, who rescue Shaggy and Scooby after they fall into the alligator-infested water. 
Snakebite returns the pair to their friends after having a less-than-friendly disposition and complaining about tourists. Jacques, after Snakebite leaves, tells the gang that Snakebite doesn't like anyone but himself on the bayou. I took issue with this statement, and it's one of those things that kind of doesn't work now. As a child, from a child's perspective, Snakebite did rescue Shaggy and Scooby, but he was also a mean old man trying to claim overship over public property. The thing that kids don't always get is that people lie or misrepresent the truth. Snakebite doesn't like tourists. He doesn't like tourists in the bayou. Shaggy and Scooby, thrashing about in the water, scared off a fish, Big Mona, that Snakebite has been fishing for for a long time. Fishing is Snakebite's project, and these two outsiders came and messed up his work. I want to point out that Snakebite isn't directly hostile with Jacques either. He just tells Jacques to get the trespassing tourists off his boat. That leads me to think that he doesn't have a an issue with Jacques being on the bayou. He has a problem with tourists on the bayou. He has this issue because tourists will come and disrupt the ecosystems and lives of locals with no regard for how that impacts the people living there. Snakebite has an issue with people disrespecting the bayou and two random idiots, and I say that because from Snakebite's perspective, they are idiots come in, thrashing about in the water, and causing a ruckus for the wildlife. Snakebite Scruggs is an environmentalist and is just trying to protect the natural beauty of the Louisiana Bayou. I will die on this hill. The group arrive on Moonscar Island and make it to the house they'll be investigating and staying at. This house is a plantation, specifically a pepper plantation. I'm going to mention right now that there's only two black people in this movie. One is Chris from the beginning. The other is a black man that is shown as the opener to Fred, Daphne, and Velma sitting on the bench. It's like he's placed there to be a sign that they're in Louisiana. That's it. He's the only guy in the whole farmer's market of people in the middle of heckin' Louisiana that's black. This movie is set in Louisiana, and there are almost no black people there. Everyone is white. The two characters we are going to meet are white. Snakebite, white. Jacques, white. Lena is a little tan, but at most, she is spicy white. The Scooby Gang, all white. This takes place on a plantation, which means slavery happened. We get further confirmation later that slavery happened. Believe me, we will discuss that. But how is a movie based in Louisiana on a plantation not going to show black people living anywhere near there? It's Louisiana. Anyway, the gang arrive on the plantation and meet the owner of the property, Simone Lenoir. The way they meet the owner of the property is what catches the attention. When they arrive, Scooby takes notice of the numerous cats on the property. He immediately gets aggressive and begins to chase them. 
Scooby commits hundreds of dollars worth of property damage to the garden and planter that Bo, the gardener, was working on, as well as Miss Lenoir's porch. He runs under it and the boards of the porch lift up, which means they'll need to be set back into place or completely replaced, depending on how the boards are after such abuse. Scooby eventually crashes into Miss Lenoir, knocking her to the ground. The Scooby gang are lucky she didn't call the cops on them. Once you see the whole film, it makes sense. As a child, it was something I'd brush off. But as an adult, it's a red flag. Why is this woman not calling the authorities on these random people and their dog that's running around without a leash wrecking her property? It gives an indication that Simone doesn't actually want them to leave despite the wreckage. It begins to plant a seed that Simone is up to no good, though I don't believe that was the intent. The gang eventually receive a tour from Lena and Simone. Scooby and Shaggy are sent to the kitchen to distract Scooby from the cats. The pair begin to eat as much food as they can get their hands on, including peppers. At one point, they eat peppers that are so hot it causes them to shout and bring the rest of the group running to check on them. After confirming that the two are alright, the rest leave to continue their tour of the house. Shaggy and Scooby are about to continue their pepper consumption when, suddenly, the room chills. And there, in the corner of the screen, is a ghostly blade carving into the wall. Shaggy and Scooby scream and hide in a pantry. The group comes running back, questioning if they had once again been burned by the peppers. The pair shakily point out the carving of Get Out. Daphne is ecstatic. She rushes Fred to record, setting up herself and Simone in a shot by the carving. While introducing the segment, a gust of wind blows in Daphne's face. She yells about it, angry, asked who opened a window. Turns out, no one opened a window. And now the word beware has been added to the get out. Simone mentions that the spirits get more restless after dark. Daphne is so hype about this. She tells Fred to keep rolling, trying to get another ghostly encounter on film. She's brushing her hair when Fred quickly turns from her. She questions why he's not filming her when he points out Velma. Velma who is now floating several feet in the air. Daphne's losing her shit, she's so happy, and Velma is very much not feeling the situation. The poor thing's holding down her skirt while mysteriously being levitated. That must have been so stressful. Then she has her friend, who is safe, on the ground, unlevitated, all excited that something is making gravity not work. Daphne in that moment, was putting her job above her friend's well-being. And that kinda a little bit sucks. But it's a very human move that shows how passionate Daphne is for her work, so I fully understand her reaction, and I can't really blame her for it. Daphne is right to be excited, and Velma would also be right to be salty about it. Velma eventually falls, landing on Scooby. The group watch Fred's footage and, upon enhancing the picture, see the ghost of Morgan Moonscar carving into the wall. Simone brings a book to the gang and tells them of Morgan McWright, 
who became known as Morgan Moonscar because of the moon-shaped scar on his face. How fucked up is that nickname to be saddled with? Haha, you have a facial disfigurement, so that's all you're going to be known for. Pirates are assholes. Velma confirms that it was Moonscar in the footage. Daphne profusely thanks Simone for allowing the gang to stay at her haunted estate. Simone is surprised that they're staying and not listening to Moonscar's warning. Daphne says that they weren't scared, to which Scooby and Shaggy disagree. Fred tries to calm them, saying that all the apparition likely was was a hologram of some sort. Daphne disagrees with him. Scooby and Shaggy, hungry once again, decide to pack up some food for a picnic. As they head out, Velma enters the kitchen. She wants to examine the carvings more closely. She begins to scratch at the paint with her thumbnail, chipping it. She realizes there's something under the paint, and she begins to chip at the paint a bit more forcefully. She stops and spots a spatula on the counter. Velma then decides that Scooby isn't going to be the only one committing property damage. She uses the spatula to chip away large portions of paint on the wall, stopping only when Lena enters the kitchen and yells at Velma, questioning the destruction. Velma is all smiles, saying that she may have gotten carried away. Yeah, another hundred dollars of property damage is just getting a little carried away, alright. The word maelstrom is what sat beneath the paint. Simone angrily questions Velma, wanting to know why her kitchen was vandalized. Velma pulls up a section in the book on Morgan Moonscar that Simone had shown them earlier. They learn Moonscar's ship was named the Maelstrom. Simone theorizes that parts of the ship were likely used to build the plantation house, and that there were rumors of buried treasure. Fred jumps on this, concluding that someone is dressing as a pirate ghost to try to scare people off the island so they could find treasure. While Fred is being very loudly wrong, Scooby and Shaggy are enjoying their picnic. They're feasting on more peppers when three cats begin to eat their food. Scooby does not like this and proceeds to chase them. What does this cause, scholars? Even more property damage! Scooby rips up the lawn, chasing after these cats, and runs them into the bayou. Shaggy begins to chase after them, but stops to pick peppers, because peppers are more important than making sure his dog doesn't maul Simone's cats. Because Scooby is free to chase these cats, he eventually runs into the water, once again scaring away Big Mona. Snakebite, angry that the tourists have once again ruined his chances at catching the fish, sicks his hunting pig, Mojo, on Scooby. Completely understandable, Snakebite. Scooby flees, running past Shaggy. Shaggy questions him, but soon sees Mojo charging towards him. The pair eventually run themselves into a hole. A deep hole. The hole is probably about 12 feet deep, I'm guessing, comparing it to Shaggy's height. I want to say it's about... 12 feet long by 6 feet wide as well. It's a big-ass hole. Shaggy tries to climb out of the hole, grabbing onto a tree root sticking out of the dirt on one of the sides. 
He nearly makes it before the dirt crumbles, sending Shaggy tumbling back down. The small avalanche reveals a space in the dirt, a space that's filled with a skeletal arm. Scooby and Shaggy watch in horror as light comes from the sky into the space in the dirt, pulling the arm and other bones out into the dirt floor. The light envelops the bones, forming them back into their rightful places. Skin, hair, and clothing begin to generate on the bones. The light fades, and what is left is no longer just bones. It is Morgan Moonscar, back from the dead as a zombie. Scooby and Shaggy cower in fear. Moonscar lifts his rusty sword. Shaggy quickly walks on top of Scooby to be able to climb up the wall of the hole. He pulls Scooby up by his tail right as Moonscar has raised his sword towards the Great Dane. It's a great children's visual, but I fear many a kid thought it would be okay to pull their dog by the tail like that and it not be an issue. Moonscar the zombie easily climbs out of the hole and begins to follow the fleeing pair. Scooby and Shaggy crash into Bo while running from the zombie. The rest of the group join them, having heard Scooby and Shaggy screaming all the way up to the house. The two recount the event they had just witnessed, telling of the newly arisen Morgan Moonscar. They showed the group the hole they had fallen into and mentioned that after running from Moonscar, they ran into Bo. Velma begins to interrogate Bo, wanting to know what he was doing. Bo angrily replies that he was doing his job gardening. Velma is highly skeptical, asking if Bo was planting elephants due to the size of the hole. Bo walks away, muttering to himself. Velma voices her suspicions about Bo, to which Daphne agrees before she adds on that she thought he was cute. Fred becomes weirdly possessive at this statement. He says that if they were done at the hole, they should leave and he has this angry face on with his hands on his hips. He's annoyed that Daphne was calling Bo cute, even though earlier that very day, he had called Lena cute. I see your double standards, Fred Jones. I see you. Despite the frequent acts of vandalism, Simone and Lena are very accommodating to their guests. Like, before, this is still a really big red flag to me. Why are they being so nice after these people have repeatedly destroyed their property? It doesn't quite make sense unless they very much want the gang to stay on the island. Lena shows everyone their rooms. When she shows Fred his, she's standing by a window as the sun sets. The exchange they have is flirtatious, and if this were not a children's film, Lena and Fred would likely have sex. The way the light silhouettes Lena and how the camera angle is arranged makes this interaction vaguely sexually tense. After Lena shows Fred his room, she shows Daphne to hers. Daphne begins to thank her, but Lena's already gone. Lena, very obviously, does not fuck with Daphne. In Scooby and Shaggy's room, Shaggy's getting ready for dinner. He's standing in front of a mirror, trimming his goatee. He confirms with Scooby that he's trimmed his facial hair effectively when, suddenly, a figure appears in the mirror. It's an older southern man in uniform. He begins to exit the mirror, telling Shaggy and Scooby to get away over and over. They flee the room. 
Fred is in his room, also preparing for dinner. He tries on an ascot, a nod to the one he would wear in the original runs of the show, before deciding against it with a deep brain, nah. Shaggy bursts into the room, jumping into Fred's arms, Scooby running in and doing the same. Fred struggles to hold them both, stumbling out of the room before crashing into Simone. She yells for them to get Scooby off of her. Daphne and Velma come out of their rooms as Fred is picking Shaggy up off the floor. Daphne accusingly asks Fred what he was doing. I always found this to be weird because he wasn't the one on top of Simone, and he was actively picking Shaggy up off the floor. Why is he being blamed for something that is obviously a Scooby and Shaggy shenanigan? He goes to defend himself when Shaggy lets the group know they had seen another ghost. The group go back to Scooby and Shaggy's room, where they begin to examine the mirror. Velma goes behind the piece of furniture and notices a plaque on the back. The plaque reads, Property of Colonel Jackson T. Pettigrew, 8th Louisiana. Velma believes that this sounds like a Civil War regiment. Simone confirms that Confederate barracks were located on the island. So this is further confirmation that slavery happened. If the Civil War was still fought in this universe, slavery happened. So this is a film based in Louisiana on a plantation with a Confederate ghost and only two black people that have pretty much nothing to do with the story. This is one of the things that does not hold up. They put in all of these indications of America's sordid history and then have the audacity to not include a single person of color in a role of importance. The Confederate soldier is also going to be coming up again further on, so this will not be the last we discuss of him. The group go downstairs to eat dinner. Fred, Daphne, Velma, Lena, and Simone are seated at the dining room table. Daphne asks about Bo's whereabouts, to which their hosts say they are unsure. Fred responded that that figures, suspecting Bo to be the cause of all the ruckus. Velma asked Simone how long Bo had been employed by them, suspicious as well. Simone responds that he had been working for them for a few months and had good references. During this, Scooby and Shaggy are in the kitchen. Several of Simone's cats are eating, and Scooby, once again, becomes aggressive. He chases them through the house before crashing into the dining room. Shaggy mentions the kitchen not being a good idea for Scooby because of all the cats. Scooby spots the cat in Simone's arms, growls at it, and begins to pull towards it. The cat hisses, and Simone is over it. She says Scooby has to eat outside. Finally, it took so long for this woman to be fully upset about the actions of the people that she has allowed into her home. It's really a giant neon danger sign by the fact that it takes this long for Simone to be done with Scooby's bullshit. Scooby tries to refuse, scared of the ghosts and zombies. Lena eventually gets Shaggy and Scooby set up with the mystery machine with a pot of crawfish. The pair gorge themselves on the crawfish, Scooby eating the majority of the food. Several cats are perched on the tree outside, eventually walking onto the top of the mystery machine. Scooby growls at them, and Shaggy drives the mystery machine away to try to find a catless eating location. They find one, sitting and enjoying their food, and, of course, more peppers. They run from the van to the water to satiate the burn. Another thing that doesn't hold up now, that I'm an adult, 
Do you realize how dirty bayou water is, scholars? You don't want to drink that. I refuse to believe that these two prepared a whole multi-course meal and didn't bring a single goddamn drink. The light that had appeared earlier to resurrect the body of Morgan Moonscar returns, dipping into the water. Another Confederate zombie bursts from the bottom of the bayou. Several more follow. The light is shown traveling throughout the wooded area, resurrecting more zombies. Confederates, pirates, and tourists. Zombies pursue the pair who try to escape in the mystery machine. They unfortunately get stuck in the mud and are forced to flee the vehicle to escape. They briefly crash into Bo, who looks undead due to the way the light from his lantern is hitting his eyes. Shaggy and Scooby promptly run away from him as he stands there, confused. As this is going on, back in the dining room, Velma and Fred try to theorize their reasons as to why someone would want to fake a haunting on the island. Simone exclaims in horror at the idea. Daphne scolds both of them, admonishing them for not wanting to accept the possibility of supernatural occurrences. A bit later, Fred begins to eat pie, Lena's pecan pie. He tells Daphne that they should do a segment on the pie, because it is, quote, supernatural. Daphne immediately tells him that he's corny. She doesn't even seem that she's so much jealous as she is tired of his shit. Scooby and Shaggy's screams cut off any potential rebuttals. Daphne, Fred, and Velma go off in search of their friends. While searching, the trio run into Bo. Fred and Velma immediately start making accusations. Bo tells them that Shaggy and Scooby were running about the bayou and yelling about zombies, which he says he didn't see. Velma gets aggressive in her response, saying that he never does see anything, that he's never around when the ghosts and zombies are. Fred promptly agrees. Daphne puts an end to the bickering, telling her friends to save their suspicions for later so they can focus on finding Scooby and Shaggy. She suggests splitting up, which Fred agrees is a good idea. She then suggests splitting up with her going with Bo, to which Fred says is a bad idea. Velma interjects and says she'll go with Bo and whispers to Fred that she wouldn't allow him out of her sight. This is another moment of Fred being weirdly possessive and jealous with Daphne, even though he's constantly flirting with Lena. Fred is such a fuckboy in this movie and Daphne is fairly chill. She doesn't really get jealous about his behavior with Lena, she just calls out his bad jokes and puns. Daphne's over his sense of humor, while Fred wants his cake and to eat it too. This is one of the things I can really appreciate about this film, because it's so real. The relationship dynamics that Fred and Daphne show are real, even if they aren't exactly healthy. I do wish that their behavior was addressed a little bit more, especially considering how short this film is. At an hour and 16 minutes, they would have had the time to do it. Velma and Bo go off on their search. Bo confronts Velma, asking why she's treating him like he's a suspect. Velma loudly and angrily exclaims that he is. Velma is supposed to be so smart, and don't get me wrong, she is, but I think one of the dumbest things she can do is, while alone, in the middle of a bayou, 
without a weapon, tell the top suspect that they are a suspect. Ma'am, he could murder you. They are in a bayou where there are alligators. Disposing of the body would be very easy. Velma pushes past him and Bo roughly grabs her arm. She wriggles out of his grip and he picks up a very large rock. She cowers on the ground and he throws it over her head into quicksand. Quicksand was a very popular obstacle to be added into children's media and I don't quite know why. I did look it up though and there is actually quicksand in Louisiana. It's one of the states with the most quicksand because of the Mississippi Delta. So while quicksand isn't actually a regular issue and definitely not as dangerous as portrayed in media, though I understand because kids should not be going near quicksand, in this moment it does make sense that there is quicksand present. Velma thanks Bo for saving her from the quicksand, but quickly confirms that he is still a suspect. He quietly walks away from her. Fred and Daphne find the mystery machine absent of Shaggy and Scooby. Upon finding the massive crawfish shells, Daphne begins to tease Fred about his girlfriend's cooking. Fred gets cranky at this, saying that Lena wasn't his girlfriend, and then asking Daphne about Bo. Daphne gets annoyed with this, asking what about him. A hand comes out of the bushes and Daphne grabs it, flipping the figure from behind her. Shaggy and Scooby soon arrive at the clearing as Daphne and Fred are about to unmask the figure. Shaggy and Scooby cower away in fear, to which Fred tells them that it's just a mask. With Fred recording, Daphne attempts to take off the mask and is unable to, telling Fred that it feels like a real face. Shaggy hands the camera to Shaggy. Fred hands the camera to Shaggy, which is then passed to Daphne, and begins to attempt to remove the mask from the figure, pulling on it roughly. He theorizes as to who it could possibly be underneath. After three wrong guesses and a particularly hard pull, Fred yanks the head off a zombie and concludes that maybe it's real. He screams and throws the head up into the air. The four of them play a quick game of hot potato with the head before it settles onto the lap of the still-seated zombie. Daphne has an I told you so moment and Fred refuses to accept it, questioning if the zombie was animatronic. As Fred continues to record, the zombie puts his own head back on and the light once again comes from the sky, dipping into the bayou. Dozens more zombies come up from the water and begin to surround the gang. Shaggy and Scooby promptly run away. Daphne angrily questions Fred on if these new zombies are also animatronic. Fred, afraid, said that it's a possibility. Daphne calls this out and tells him that he's in denial. The pair run from the zombies, but Fred trips over a tree branch and the camera falls into quicksand. Any evidence of that night's occurrences are lost forever. We are once again blessed with the musical stylings of Sky Cycle and their wonderful melodic exposition known as It's Terror Time Again. Fred and Daphne, and Scooby and Shaggy respectively, are shown fleeing from the zombies. Fred and Daphne try to use a tree branch to knock the zombies away from them, 
only to see the legs of the zombies still walking towards them after the tops have been knocked off. Shaggy and Scooby end up in the bayou where Snakebite is still fishing for Big Mona. His fishing line catches on Shaggy's shirt and pulls Shaggy and Scooby against multiple trees. Daphne and Fred eventually run into Velma and Bo. Scooby and Shaggy fall into a cave. Fred, Daphne, Velma, and Bo are walking in search of Shaggy and Scooby. Daphne and Fred tell Velma and Bo of their discovery of real zombies. Daphne is upset and mourns the loss of her camera. In the cave, Shaggy and Scooby discover three dolls that look just like Fred, Daphne, and Velma. They pick them up to play with them, intrigued. Fred, Daphne, and Velma begin to levitate as Scooby and Shaggy play with the dolls. Fred, Daphne, and Velma begin to move uncontrollably, occasionally hitting each other. Shaggy and Scooby only stop playing with the dolls due to being run out of the cave by bats. They drop the dolls and run out, which causes Fred, Daphne, and Velma to fall from the sky. Fred, Daphne, Velma, and Bo hear Lena's screams coming from the house. They race over there, searching for Lena and Simone. Bo theorizes that the generator had run out and originally begins to head to go check it. Velma stops him, insisting on not allowing him out of her sight. Fred accidentally stumbles upon a secret passageway underneath the stairs. He does this by falling through the unsecured hideaway. Daphne finds the passageway and sees Fred on the ground with Lena holding him. Velma and Bo soon follow her down into the passageway. Lena tells the group of how she and Simone had originally waited outside for the mystery gang to return, but were attacked by zombies. The passageway had originally been built during the Civil War to hide from Union soldiers. The zombies had apparently grabbed Simone and dragged her down the passageway. Velma examines the ground and clarifies that Simone was dragged away. Lena confirms and cries in Fred's arms. He shrugs at Daphne, who brushes us off and marches ahead, insisting on finding Simone. The group follow footmarks left in the dirt and eventually reach a hidden chamber. Velma confronts Lena, pointing out that Simone could not have been dragged away, as there are no drag marks, only footprints. Simone emerges from the shadows, cracking open a spot in the ceiling to allow the moonlight to shine on a moon dial. She calls out Velma's cleverness, but tells them they're too late. Simone picks up Daphne and Velma's dolls, the ones Shaggy and Scooby were playing with earlier, and smashes them against the wall, forcing Daphne and Velma to mimic the action. Lena uses the dolls of Fred and Bo to also throw them into a wall. Lena and Simone tie up the wax figures, which confines their human counterparts. Velma apologizes to Bo for suspecting him. Simone tells the group that the ceremony can begin once the moon dial reaches its point at midnight. Daphne tells her she wouldn't get away with it, to which Simone replies that she had been getting away with it for 200 years. Simone and Lena partially transform into cat creatures, which is still scary. The art design choices for Simone and Lena's cat creature form is still fairly terrifying as far as children's horror goes. Fred tries being an optimist and mentions that at least Scooby and Shaggy weren't captured as well. Lena and Simone, it turns out, did not make wax dolls of them, deciding they were too stupid and not worth wasting wax on. Simone tells the group that every harvest moon, she has to drain the life force of visitors in order to maintain her immortality 
and that is the ritual the group will be taking part of. Daphne says that this was more haunting than she had asked for. It's a good message about being careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. As Scooby and Shaggy are running through the bayou, still trying to evade the zombies, they head to the ferry. They encounter Jacques, who appears friendly at first, but soon becomes a cat creature himself. Jacques begins to chase them back towards the property. Velma theorizes out loud that Simone had found Morgan Moonscar's treasure. Simone angrily whirls toward Velma, venomously spitting Morgan Moonscar's name. Simone recounts a sad tale for the group. Simone and Lena had been a part of a group of settlers that had established themselves on the island. They worshipped a cat god as a way to secure a bountiful harvest. One night, Morgan Moonscar came. Moonscar decided to take over the island and ran all of the settlers, except for Lena and Simone, into the bayou. Lena and Simone watched with horror, well hidden amongst the trees, as all of their friends and family were eaten by alligators. Lena and Simone beg their cat god for a means to seek revenge on the pirates. Their cat god grants this witch, turning them into cat creatures so they may slay the pirates. After seeking their revenge, Lena and Simone discover their request has come, not without a price. They were cursed to be cat creatures forever and must drain the life force from humans in order to survive. Lena recounts on how the plantation came to be. From a group of spice traders settling on the island, the plantation is shown being built and eventually Lena and Simone attack a man working the field in the middle of the night. I want to point out that during this sequence, slaves are never shown. This movie establishes that the Civil War happens and that this is a plantation, but they never show slaves, and I don't quite know how I feel about that. I could appreciate not depicting slavery, but to not depict slavery and still leave in all of this imagery of the Civil War gives a conflicting message. It seems like they're trying to portray that slavery was a shameful thing, and that's why they're not showing it actively happening, but it's not so shameful that they won't mention the Civil War and Confederate soldiers, who, you know, actively fought to keep people as objects. After Simone and Lena tell the group of how they had to lure people to the island in order to drain them of their life force, the zombies that have now arisen are just victims of the cat creatures, and were actually trying to warn the gang, not hurt them. The group hears a growl outside, which Simone explains to Jacques. They needed a ferry driver, so they hired Jacques and turned him into a mortal cat creature in exchange. Jacques chases Shaggy and Scooby. He briefly catches them, holding them in the air. Jacques is eventually overrun by zombies, dropping the pair. Scooby and Shaggy make the smart decision to run away. Back in the chamber, Lena and Simone hear Jacques cry out. Lena wants to go and help him but Simone insists on draining the still-captive group. Scooby and Shaggy stumble upon the chamber, crashing into Lena, Simone, and the table that was holding the wax figures. Simone and Lena grow angry and transform fully into their crack creature selves. Scooby and Shaggy run away from them, knocking the wax dolls around as they are chased by the cat creatures and followed by zombies that are slowly making their way into the chamber. Velma's wax figure eventually end up at her feet, to which she tries to unbind it. She has some difficulty as she still has shoes on, and it is a bit difficult to untie a doll with shoed feet. 
Lena and Simone manage to catch Shaggy and Scooby to drain them of their life force. They're stopped by Confederate zombies, who pounce on the cat creatures, forcing them to throw off the pair. Shaggy and Scooby are thrown into the air, and they eventually land in a Confederate zombie's arms. They understandably freak out at this, to which Daphne calls over to them, letting them know that the zombies are the good guys. This is such a weird visual and story choice. Why does it have to be the Confederate zombie that are saving them and getting called the good guys? Why am I supposed to have sympathy for Confederate zombies? I don't have sympathy for Confederate zombies. They wanted to own people as property. I do not give a single fuck that a bunch of cat creatures decided to drain them of their life force for immortality. Because you know what? I did not see one black victim among those zombies, scholars. The cat creatures aren't racist. The cat creatures are not for the Confederates because there's a ton of Confederate zombies. Shaggy even responds to Daphne's statement asking if she's out of her mind. This one works not only because they're being told zombies are the good guys, they're being told that CONFEDERATE zombies of all things are the good guys. It doesn't make any sense. Scooby and Shaggy wriggle away from the zombie and head towards the front of the chamber. Unfortunately, Jacques is there to cut them off. Velma manages to untie her doll and quickly makes work on the other ones. After briefly escaping Jacques, by squirting peppers into his eyes, Shaggy and Scooby are caught by Lena and Simone, who begin to drain them of their life force. They're stopped when Velma and Daphne show their creative skills and make dolls of Lena and Simone. They throw the dolls against the wall and force Lena and Simone to hit each other. Jacques, in his frenzy, managed to knock the wax dolls from Daphne and Velma's hands. Lena and Simone are thrown into the pack of zombies that were headed into the chamber. Scooby and Shaggy are okay despite the, the attack. The group crowd together as the cat creatures begin to move in on them. Bo picks up a flaming torch trying to hold back the three cat creatures. They knock it from his hand, and just when they think all is lost, time has run out. The cat creatures dissolve into dust as the moon dial has gone past the midnight point and they have not drained anyone of their life force. The zombies, now free from the cat creatures, begin to dissolve as well. The green light that resurrected them leaves their decaying bodies as Velma tells Shaggy that they can finally rest in peace. The Confederate soldier from earlier appears as his ghost form, thanking the Mystery Gang for their help before disappearing. It turns out that Bo is an undercover officer with the FBI, who is investigating the mysterious disappearances on the island. He questions on how he's going to explain the situation to his superiors, to which Daphne comes up with an idea for him to appear on her show as a way to back up each other's stories. We finish this tale with the mystery gang on the ferry about to head home. Velma seems very taken up by Bo. He is much more polite now that he's not gardening, and they bond over their love of mystery novels. Scooby runs onto the ferry after some last-minute pepper picking. He gets caught on the dock and flips in the air. Snakebite Scruggs has finally caught Big Mona, but Scooby's flip causes her to get away. Snakebite once again yells about tourists. Scooby eventually lands in the mystery machine before Shaggy pulls him out onto the ferry. He hands Scooby a sandwich. As Scooby is about to take a bite, he's surrounded by cats, who begin to meow at him. Scooby looks at them in fear as the cats continue to whine, their eyes brightly glowing. Alrighty, scholars, it's time to make some conclusions about this film. There's several things about this movie that really do stand the test of time. The group's genuine friendship is always present. The way they interact with each other is very real. 
they all jumped at the opportunity to work with each other again. Even their negative behaviors still hold up. Fred's infatuation with Lena, while at the same time being possessive over Daphne, is undoubtedly frustrating, but also very realistic. Fred and Daphne have had this song and dance of will they, won't they for decades, so it's nice to see the idea really being pushed on in this film. Daphne doesn't come across as jealous to me. She doesn't like Fred's bad jokes and calls out his possessive behavior. Daphne isn't taking any of Fred's shit. It's great. The gang as a whole also know they're all valuable members of Mystery Incorporated and will always try to ensure each other's safety. Fred, Daphne, and Velma spend a lot of time checking on and looking for Scooby and Shaggy to make sure they're safe. Fred is thankful that Shaggy and Scooby weren't captured with them, and it doesn't seem that was because he thought they'd be rescued by the pair. The way Fred makes that statement comes across as him acknowledging that they likely were going to die, and since Shaggy and Scooby weren't there, maybe they'd live. Fred's statement and his delivery of it indicates that he, that all of them, care much more about each other being alive and safe than themselves as individuals. The love and friendship that Mystery Inc. has for each other will always be a major positive force when revisiting their adventures. Of course, not everything in this film still works. The lack of people of color, especially in Louisiana, doesn't make sense. Having a majority of the film take place on a plantation, establishing that the Civil War happened, and showing Confederate soldiers without addressing slavery at all does not work. The fact that Confederate zombies are called the good guys, even though, yes, they were in this specific situation, makes my skin crawl. The Confederate ghost thanking the gang for helping to free the zombie souls, his Confederate soul, is mildly infuriating. This movie spends over an hour turning Confederates of all people, people who didn't think black people were human, people who committed genocide, rape, torture, and various other war crimes into victims. I fucking love this movie so much, and I still do, but this is wrong. There were plenty of other zombies on the island, other zombies that could have been the more important helpful one. I'm not saying the Confederate zombies shouldn't be there. I'm absolutely tickled at the idea of Confederate zombies being killed by two cat women. I'm saying that the film shouldn't have tried to set it up for the viewer to feel sympathy for these zombies. That should not have happened, and it is something that can override the nostalgia factor. This film isn't perfect. Far from it. There's some glaring issues regarding race. I understand how someone watching this now would have a completely different take than a child would when the film came out. As a child watching this, I didn't pick up on these problems. Now that I'm an adult and learn the history of the country, I'm able to recognize these problems. I still watch the film. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug, but I won't watch the film and try to say it's perfect, because it's not. It could be so much better by an extra 15 minutes of runtime and some sprinkling in of the actual history of the Civil War, since it was mentioned frequently. This film is flawed, but it still has its good moments. It's an integral part to my journey into horror. It will always have a special place in my heart even if it also carries a heavy weight there as well. That's all I have for you today, scholars. Tune in for next week's lecture, where we will be discussing Day of the Dead, the 1985 George Romero film, 
right in time for Hi That Scary's favorite holiday.